Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. The reason why you and I can be steadfast is because the anchor of Jesus Christ holds, amen? That's the truth, and that's what we've been learning in the book of Hebrews. And so I just want to give a greeting. Thank you all for being here. I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. I'd like to also welcome those of you at our Creekside service and North Udawa campus or St. Elmo or all of you that may be worshiping online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'm Tony Walliser, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today to share with you God's Word. So that's what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up into the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, you've got a smartphone, you can open that app to Hebrews 12 as well. And then do this, take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We give these outlines so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. As you know, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews, and it's an incredible book, and now in Hebrews 12, and today we're going to talk about suffering, suffering that comes into the lives of Christians, and why, and how does that happen? Now, um, I, I got to admit to you that before, I mean, several weeks back, whenever I came up with a title for today's message, that was before the senseless shootings that happened in South Texas, or in Buffalo, or even the shootings that happened in Chattanooga downtown last night. And so when we see those kind of things, you go, oh my goodness, that's just evil. And can we all agree it is evil, right? And so today I'm going to be talking about suffering that occurs in Christians' lives. But, you know, in, in a few weeks, we're going to be in another series, uh, and it's an apologetic series, and we're going to answer the big question, okay, wh- why does God allow evil in the world that we live in? And so we're going to talk about that subject in, in a few weeks. But as you think about what's happened in the last several weeks, all you can do is conclude and go, man, we live in a broken, fallen world. And the Bible concurs with that. And the Bible tells us that, you know what, there really is an evil force in this world. We call him Satan, the evil one. I mean, the Bible says that he is a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said that he's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so whenever you see somebody that that takes innocent lives and kills people, you know that's demonic. You understand that, right? And and so you go, what's the solution? I mean, we live in this broken world, and it just seems like it's getting worse. What's the solution? We pray the way Jesus prayed, taught us to pray. Our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can I just tell you that right now, God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. And can I tell you also that because we live in a culture that wants to push God farther and farther away, things are just going to get worse. I mean, it's amazing. Our culture, they want all the blessings of the kingdom, but they don't want the king. 
But only whenever King Jesus reigns, when the Prince of Peace reigns, that's when there's really peace that happens. And so we're going to be talking about that kind of evil in a few weeks. And, but today we're going to talk about suffering within a Christian. But before we move on, what I want to do is I just want us as a church to pray for all those families and communities that have been affected by all this craziness that's gone on. So would you please join me as we pray for them? Father God, you know the world we're living in and the craziness that exists. And God, we turn to you and we acknowledge that we don't understand, but you do. You know what it's like. You saw evil men who beat your innocent son, crucify the Holy One. God, you understand what that feels like. And so God, would even in this very moment, would you speak truth? Would you give hope? Would you encourage? Would you hold those families, those communities that in, in the midst of sorrow and pain and evil that we can't even understand, God, you walk with them through this. And Lord, it is our prayer that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We desperately need you to move in. God, get us out of the way. And Lord, even now as we study your word, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak and comfort us and give us wisdom in the trials that we're walking through right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's talk about suffering. And um, as we jump in, let's actually look at our text together. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning verse 5. Notice what God's word says. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Now look down at verse 10. He, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. We can all say amen to that. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Now let me set this up for you as we've walked our way through the book of Hebrews. It's written to a group of Hebrew Christians. And they're under intense persecution and suffering. And a lot of things bad are happening to them. And the natural tendency of them is our natural tendency. And that is, okay, I just need to push away from Christ. This is too hard. This is too difficult. This is too painful. I need to abandon Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, in the midst of suffering and trials, you need to press into Jesus more than ever. You need to just press into Christ. Why? Because God's doing something that you don't understand. See, what happens many times when we go through a season of trial and suffering, we don't, we don't get it. We don't understand what's going on. And so because of it, because of that confusion, we're like, I, I, I just need to push away from everything. And what, what the writer of Hebrews does is he says, I want to give you an eternal perspective of what's happening in the temporary. And so that's what Hebrews 12 is all about. And so today what I'd like to do is I want, to, I want you to jot down several really key principles from Hebrews 12 of when you're going through a time of season and suffering and trial, well, what's God, God doing? Again, this is for the Christian. What's happening here? Well, three things I want you to jot down. Number one, first of all, let's talk about the hazards of suffering. What are the hazards of suffering? You see, when we go through suffering, many times what happens, we, we don't know what's going on. And so we wrongly interpret. We, we think God's doing one thing when he may be actually doing something completely opposite. And so we become very weary. Check it out. Look what it says. Verse 5. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Look at it. Nor be weary when reproved by him. 
See, we become weary in suffering when we really don't understand what's happening, right? Whenever I was in first grade, I was sent to the principal's office. I must have been a bad kid. And see, what happened was that um, in my classroom, I sat on the very back row right next to the wall, and I had this bad habit of leaning back in my chair against the wall. And the teacher, she'd say, Tony, quit leaning back in your chair. And then a few minutes later, I'm leaning back again. Tony, quit leaning back in your chair. And that happened several times. And then, I don't know, about midday, she just calls me up to her desk. And I go, yes. She goes, Tony? And she, I could tell she's mad at me. And she's writing something on a pad of paper, gives it to me, and says, take it to the office. And I'm like, go to the office? The principal's office? Yes, go to the principal's office. And so I'm going down the hallway, and I don't really know why I'm going to the principal's office, and I'm looking at this pad of paper, and I'm going, I wish I would have paid more attention, because I can't read cursive letters at all, right? And so, so I'm headed to the principal's office, and I'm about in tears by the time I get there. And, and, and the, the name of the principal was Mr. Pillow. And the reputation was, Mr. Pillow will spank you so hard that you'll need a pillow to sit on whenever he's done with you, all right? And so, I mean, I was terrified. First grader, I'm crying outside his office. And um, he calls me in. He says, um, Tony, do you know what you did? And I go, no. He, he says, you don't know what you did? No. Could it be that you were leaning back in your chair? Well, yeah, that could be that I did that, yeah. And, and so he talked to me a little bit, and he says, okay, I'm not going to give you a spanking. He goes, thank, I go, thank you so much. And he goes, but I do want you to know this. Don't lean back in your chair anymore. And I go, okay. And so I left, and I don't think I lean back in my chair anymore. Because why? His goal was not punishment. His goal was to train me. Now, here's the deal. A lot of us, when we're going through seasons of suffering, it feels like we are in the principal's office, and we don't know why we're there. And it can be confusing. It can be weary, okay? And so I want you to notice two things about this. Number one, first of all, we misunderstand why we're suffering. We misunderstand why we're suffering. See, we think God's doing one thing when maybe God's doing something else. And so what happens is, is that we, read, we define things the wrong way, and it really messes us up. It discourages us. And so what I want to do is I'm going to give you three terms that I've defined. I've put them on your outline. One is punishment. The other one's discipline. The other one is consequences. Because it's important to know what's going on, right? First of all, let's talk about punishment. What's the definition of punishment? You're being paid back for the wrong you've done. You've done something wrong. There's consequences. Okay, you're being paid back for something you've done wrong. You've crossed the line. Here's the consequence. Here's the, here's the punishment for that. Well, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here's the good news for you. Ready? Jesus Christ on the cross has taken 100% of all the punishment for your sin. That's what you're supposed to say, amen, right? Okay? 100%. All, 100% of all your punishment for you. And so what does that mean? That means that whenever you're going through a season of suffering, it is never the punishment of God. Never. That's why it says this, and look at it, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Zero for you, right? Why? Because Jesus has taken all the condemnation for you, right? He's taken it all. So all you have left, since Jesus has already taken all the punishment for you, all you get is the love and the mercy of Almighty God, okay? Now, see, what happens, though, is that we go through a season of suffering, and we misinterpret it. We go, oh, God must be punishing me. I made this wrong decision, and God must be paying me back, right? No. I mean, think of it like this. 
I mean, let's just say that EPB sends you an electric bill and your wife pays it bill. And then a few weeks later, you get another bill, and it's the same bill, and the husband's about to pay it, and you go, wait a minute, this has already been paid. I mean, this is double dipping, right? I mean, you can't pay for something twice. Jesus Christ has already taken all the punishment for all your sins. That's why I don't believe in purgatory. Christ has already paid for all of it, right? You don't have to pay for it. He's taken all of it. So what does that mean? You get the love and the mercy of God. And so whenever you're going through suffering, you know, don't think, okay, God's punishing me. He's not. Or, or think, well, I'm just living under the curse. I made this decision. I'm under this curse. Can I tell you something? Jesus became a curse for us. So you don't have to live under any curses, right? Okay? So that's the first thing. You need to know, if you're really a child of God, it is never punishment. What's the second word? Second word is discipline. Discipline. This is a loving attempt to mold character. It's not retribution. It's formation. And that's a large part of what we're going to be studying about today that God is molding us and shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ through discipline. There's a third word, and this third word is this, consequences. What are consequences? These are the natural results of bad decisions, right? You, you make a poor decision, and there's a consequence. You put your hand in the fire, whoop, you're going to get burned. That's the consequence, right? I mean, it's sort of like this picture. Check this out. Notice the caption. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions, right? <laughs> it's true, right? You cheat on your test and you get kicked out of school. You do sloppy work, you get fired. You have sex outside of marriage, she gets pregnant. That's not the punishment of God. That's biology. You cheat on your spouse, there's no longer trust within the union. You're a self-absorbed father and your teenage kids hate you. You financially shop till you drop, and then now you're in financial ruin. You have unhealthy eating habits, and now you're diabetic. And so you can say, well, well, well what's, well, those are, yeah, those are just consequences. We live in this world. It's a broken world. And the Bible says, what you sow, you're going to reap. And a whole lot of the suffering we incur are consequences of choices we make. But here's the good news. Even though that sometimes the suffering we're going through is just because of our own choices. Here's the good news. God's able to take even the crazy stuff and use it in our good, right? And that's what God can do. And so, so it's never punishment. It may be discipline. Most of the time our suffering is consequences. But even in that, God can use that for our good. And there's a second thing you need to know. And it's this. We have a tendency to devalue God's discipline in suffering. That whenever God's doing something in our life, we don't value it the way he does. Look again what it says, verse 5. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. You see that word, regard lightly? It's the identical word we studied last week in verse 2, whenever Jesus says what? That he despised the shame of the cross and looked to the joy set before him. You see, we have a tendency to do the opposite of what Jesus did. See, what we do is we try to avoid pain and have just pleasure Jesus said, no, I'm going to press into the pain and what God's doing so that I can have pleasure later on. And so what, what does that mean? It means that when you're going through a season of suffering, you, it, that should raise your antenna and go, okay, God's doing something. I'm, a ch I'm his child, and so God's doing something, so I better pay attention to what's happening here. I mean, anytime I walk through a season of suffering or trial, the first thing I do is I stop, I pause, I look in the mirror, and I go, okay, what, what, what's going on here? Most of the time, it's my stupid choices, 
right? But I often pray, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you, how are you trying to grow me? What are you trying to do in me? Because I don't know about you. If I'm going to go through a season of trial, I don't want to have to repeat that course, right? I want to get it right the first time. And so the first thing you need to know is, okay, don't misunderstand what God's trying to do in seasons of suffering. But there's a second principle, and it's really something you got to hang on to, and it's going to be contrary to what you believe, and it's this, ready? That in seasons of suffering, you got to believe that God loves you. Jot that on your outline. God's love during suffering. God's loves during suffering. You see, we believe the opposite. We believe that when we're going through a season of difficulty, we go, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. I mean, where is God? I mean, can I just tell you something? God is not afraid of your suffering. He, he runs toward it to be with you. The Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted. I mean, think about it. Read the Gospels, and what do you see? Jesus Christ, he understands. He, he, he touches the wound of the leper when nobody else would come close. He feels the hot tears of the prostitute. I mean, Jesus Christ, he, think of it. I mean, he was homeless. He was a refugee. He, he, he was despised and rejected by people. I mean, whatever you're walking through, Jesus Christ understands. And so you need to know that when you're going through a season of suffering, God's not distant from you. No, God is there with you through it. And that what he's trying to do is in the midst of this, he's trying to grow you and discipline you and love you. Right? I mean, that's, that's what it says. Look at the next verse, verse 5. For the Lord disciplines the one he what? Say it out loud. Loves. And chastens every son he receives. And so whenever we have discipline in our lives and God's doing something in our lives that we may not think is very pleasant, we just got to say, okay, this is a sign that I'm really a child of God and that God, you know, is loving me. Now, most of you know I raised four kids and, um, and I had to discipline them from time to time. But I did not discipline the neighborhood kids. I wanted to, but I didn't. Why? Because they were not my responsibility. They weren't my kids. Well, the Bible says that whenever you find the Lord disciplining you, it's a sign of his love that you actually are his adopted child. I mean, check it out. Look at the next verse, verse 7. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so think of it just from a parenting perspective, right? I mean, those of you who are parents here, you know, parenting's hard. Right? Let's just be honest. Parenting's hard. And it's difficult. And, and the fact is, is that sometimes, you know, it's hard to, you know, discipline kids. And now, I know that there are some parents that basically their idea of discipline, I, I just sort of call them free-range parenting. All right? They just let their kids run free and do whatever they want to do, right? And, and they don't, you know, they don't have any discipline in those kids' lives. And, and they say something like this, well, I can't really discipline. I love them too much to discipline them. Can I just tell you something? That's not love. That's laziness, right? It is. If you really love them, you'll discipline them. Now, I think about my kids when they were younger. I mean, the fact is, is that, you know, every night I made them take a bath, brush their teeth, and go to bed at a certain time. And I got, you know, pushed back on every one of those. I don't need to take a bath. I didn't play any mud today. And I had three boys. You stink. Get in the bathtub, right? Or I'm not tired. I don't need to go to bed. Go to bed. Now, why in the world would I be such a hard-nosed parent, make my kids bathe every day and brush their teeth and go to bed? Because I wanted them to grow up and be mature adults one day, right? Right? I mean, I, yeah, and the goal of 
Discipline is always self-discipline. That's the whole point. Well, that's what God does. God says, look, I'm trying to produce something in you that maybe you don't understand. And whenever you're going through a season of trial, it proves God really does love you, that he's really caring about you, and he's doing something through you that maybe you don't understand. He loves you. And maybe you're here and you're like, I wish God would love me a little less sometimes, right? I mean, I think about my mom. Every time before she would spank me, and I I grew up with spankings, okay? So there you go. That explains it, right? Um, But every time my mom was about to spank me, she'd say this. She'd say, Tony, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I go, there ain't no way, Mom. You lie. This is not true, right? But then as a parent, you know, and when I got to discipline my kids, I took no pleasure in it. I didn't enjoy it, right? I didn't. Now, it did not hurt me as bad as it hurt them. But the fact is, is that, you know, the fact is, is that God really does love us. Now, just like in parenting, there may be different levels of discipline that God's working in our lives. I mean, sort of like sandpaper. You may have different, you know, degrees and different ranges and different, you know, textures of sandpaper. Well, there's different levels of discipline as well. Like what? Well, let me give you three. I put them on your outline. Number one, first of all, there's the simple rebuke. The simple rebuke, right? This is the, the, the fine sandpaper. It's not too rough, right? Look at what it says in verse five. Nor be weary when reproved by him. That's a reprove. It's a rebuke. You know, sometimes as kids, you know, your kids, they're misbehaving. And what do you say as a parent? You say, hey, knock that off. And they go, oh, sorry, Dad. Sorry, Mom. And they respond. A tender-hearted child may do that. A hard-hearted child may not and ignore you, right? Well, see, what happens in our lives spiritually is that God may give us a simple rebuke. It may be through the Holy Spirit. It may be when we're in the Word. It may be a spouse. It may be a boss. It may be a child. God has a way of talking to us, doesn't he? And, you know, if you're tenderhearted to the Lord, you go, you're right, Lord, and you repent. But if you're not and you're a little hard-hearted, you may have to go to the second level, which is this, a stronger restriction. That's where you have, you know what, you got some, some harder sandpaper, Right? Harder restriction. And I, I, as a parent, I did this a lot with my kids. You know, they'd put them in timeout or they would do restrictions. Hey, give me the keys to your car or give me your cell phone. No, you're not going to that party. No, you can't play that video game, right? And you give these restrictions on them. Why? So that they will wake up and realize, hey, you know what? I need to, I need to, I need to pay attention here. What's going on? I need to make right choices here. And that's what you would do as a parent. Did you know God does the same thing? I mean, think, in the Old Testament, remember the story of Moses? Moses is leading the children of God through the desert. And he's all frustrated with them. And he's just angry one day. And God says, I want you to speak to the rock. And what does Moses do? He hits the rock and doesn't obey what God says out of temper. And and then what happens? And afterwards, God says, you know what? Moses, you're not going into the promised land. Sorry, you're not going into the promised land. Why? Because you didn't obey the way you're supposed to. Sometimes God will put restrictions on your life. Why? Because he's he's trying to get your attention. What else? Well, it can go to the next level. The next level, I call it a stinging rod. That's the heavy-duty sandpaper. God's got to really, you know, work hard to get some stuff off of you. Look what it says, verse 6. 
For the Lord chastens every son whom he receives. That's a quotation from Proverbs 3 that's talking about corporal punishment. I mean, I love the way that um, Bible commentary author Pink once put it. He said, we should pay close attention to the taps of God before they become the raps of God, right? And you go, is this saying that God spanks us? Yeah, metaphorically, it is. Now, let me just say this, okay? If God spanks us, God never abuses us, right? God never abuses us. No, in no way does he do that. And if, and if you choose to use corporal punishment spanking as a method of discipline in your household, let me just say, you better never abuse your children either, okay? That's just a side note, all right? That, that, it's not designed for abuse. But you go, in what way does God, um, God, you know, spank us? Well, God allows us sometimes to feel the full effects of our choices. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The son says, Father, I don't want to be in your household anymore. I want to go my own way, do my own thing. And so he abandons the father, does his own thing, and what happens? He, he finds himself penniless, homeless, um, without any friends, in a pigsty. I mean, his life is a mess. And so what happens? Does, does God come and rescue him out of that mess? No. Why? Because God is not an enabler. He doesn't. He lets you feel the, feel the full weight of your choices. And then finally, when you come to your senses and you repent, then guess what? He runs to you and restores you. That's, that's the good news. But can I just tell you that God will let you at times feel the full sting of the choices you make. And whenever that happens, you know, you've got a choice. Either you're going to become resentful toward God. Oh, God, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Or you're going to learn to respect God, even in the midst of the pain. We should respect him. Look what the Bible says in verse 9. We have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? I mean, I think of my mom and dad. They were not perfect. They didn't discipline me perfect, right? They made a plenty of mistakes, but the fact is they did the best they could, and I still respect and honor them. And if that's true of an earthly parent that makes mistakes, how much true is your heavenly parent who perfectly parents you? Now, now the, our problem is, is that whenever things are happening, like we don't want them to happen, we have the wrong, many times, the wrong concept of God. See, some of you think that God is just sort of like this, you know, precious moments, heavenly grandfather that just wants to pacify you and just make you happy all the time, Right? Or, or maybe you have a concept of God that he's just like the, the heavenly pinata that you just hit and whack with your stick of faith and let all the candy come out that you want. And so whenever things go opposite of what you're expecting and, oh my goodness, this isn't working out the way I thought, then you go mad at God rather than just saying, okay, God, I submit myself to you. I don't understand it, but I'm going to respect you. You see, you got a choice. Either you're going to run from God or you're going to run into God. Either you're going to, you know, be resentful toward God or you're going to respect God. And can I just tell you, one leads to bitterness and the other one leads to blessing. Which leads to the final point, and it's this. The products of suffering. What are the products of suffering? That if you press into the Lord in the midst of suffering, that God's going to produce something. Now, there's a Bible verse that is probably the greatest promise in the entire Bible. I hope that all of you have it memorized. It's Romans 8.28. Look at it again. God causes all things to work together for good. To who? Everybody on this planet? No. To those who love God 
and those who are called according to his purpose. So that promise is only for the children of God, folks. And God says, I'm so great, I'm so powerful, I'm so good that I can take all things, bad things, good things, evil things, self-induced problems, Satan-inspired problems, I can take all things and through my sovereignty, through my power, through my goodness, I can in time work them into something good. Now that's an incredible promise. I mean, every time I read that verse, I always think of baking a cake, right? And in a cake, you have all these ingredients that are used in the cake, um, and it comes out, when they put them all together, comes out something delicious. But individually, they're not that great. I mean, flour's dry, and baking soda is bitter, and raw eggs are just disgusting, right? And heat will burn you, right? But if you take all those things and allow God in his time and sovereignty to mix them together, he will produce something that's good and sweet. I often think of suffering much like a puzzle piece, Right? By itself, man, this just looks like a bunch of blurry colors. But, but if you put in the 999 other pieces and you put that last piece in, you go, oh, it's beautiful. Well, whenever we're going through suffering, it's the one piece and you do not understand it and you, you don't comprehend what's going on, but you've got to trust. Okay, God, I'm going to believe you're big enough and great enough and love me enough that whenever this all fits in together, it's going to produce something beautiful. And it does. Like what? Well, two things he tells us. First of all, it produces life. It produces life. Look at it. Verse 9. Be subject to the Father of spirits and live. Now, we know the opposite of that. What you do is look around this world. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Our world beckons to us. Follow after us. And we promise you that you'll have joy and life and happiness and fulfillment. And you know what? You go after this world and you'll get a temporary thrill, but it always eventually leads to death. The Bible says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is death. And so that's what we do falling off this world. And God says, look, when you're going through suffering, if you'll press into me, hold to close to me, I'll produce life even when you don't understand it. I mean, again, as parents, you understand this. I remember when my kids were real young and they'd be sick and we had to take them to a doctor. And the doctor says, hey, we need to give them a shot, right? And you hand your little innocent child over to this nurse and she has this big needle, and it goes into your child's leg, and you know, what? and they're looking at you like, oh, daddy, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me, right? That little child can't understand that it was for her life. I mean, this weekend, my wife Susan and I were watching one of our granddaughters, and um, she's had this sinus, you know, drainage kind of thing. And she's got all this sinus drainage going on, and, and so she can't sleep good because she's, she's all the sinus drainage. She can't eat good. It just causes her to spit up all of her milk. And, and so, you know, we realize we got to do something. So what do you do? I hold her down. I put saline into her nose, and I suck her nose out. And she's looking at me like, Papa! Because Papa's not supposed to do that, right? Can I just tell you, that's us. We are the little children and we do not understand it. We don't know why we're going through it. But you got to say, okay, God, I don't understand. But I do believe you're good and you're great and you love me. And so I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to press into you that in the end it will produce life. But not only life, secondly, jot this down, it also produces righteousness. It produces righteousness. What does that mean? You start looking more and more like Jesus. 
Look at verse 10. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. We go, amen, it's true, but rather than pleasant. But later it yields, later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, look at it, to those who have been trained by it. And so God will use the suffering of this world as sandpaper, as a tool that he uses to make us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, that's God's goal. God's goal is to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. We don't like to hear this, but it's true. God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. God's more concerned with your righteousness than your riches. God is more concerned with your inner strength than your external beauty. God's more concerned about eternity than he is the present. Now, he's concerned about all those other things, but his primary concern is what he's shaping you to be for all eternity. And our temptation is that whenever he's doing that, we want to run away from God. But the Bible says, no, press into him and watch him do something beautiful in your life. In fact, what does that look like? Check it out. I love this, verse 11 again. It says, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see that word trained there? It's a real interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word gymnasio. We get the name gymnasium from it. You see what it's saying there? It's saying that God is not only a heavenly father who disciplines you, God is also your coach who will train you. And he takes you to the gym. And makes you go through a workout. Now, I don't know about you. When I go through workouts, I don't think this is life. I'm like, I'm about to die. I can't do another push-up or sit-up or whatever it is. I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm burning, right? And you know what? What's happening? You know what? Those muscles are getting broken down. Why? So that they can get better. And that's what God does. God takes us to the gym of life and he works us out. And we don't like it, but in the end, it produces life, right? But you got to be trained by the Lord. Don't run from it. Get in the gym with the Lord. Athletes will get so mad at their coaches sometimes. Why? I don't like the way he's training us. Why? Because they don't understand the plan. It may not be your plan, but it's a good plan. Listen to me. God's got a good plan for you. Trust him. Let me close with this. Phil Bianci years ago wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace? And in that book, he tells a story of a time whenever he was in Africa at a safari. And he's looking at all these different animals. And he notices that there were these giraffes. And there was a big giraffe that just kept kicking down this little giraffe. And it disturbed him. He asked the guy, what's going on there? And he said, well, the big giraffe is the mama giraffe. And that's her baby. And so what she's doing is the, the only protection that a baby giraffe has is to quickly get up and run. That's the only protection from predators. And so what she's doing is, is the little baby giraffe gets up and she kicks it back down. Why is it? So he can learn to quickly get back up because that's how it's going to survive. It seems cruel, but what she's actually doing is producing life. And that's the very same thing for us. We look sometimes at the sandpaper of God and what God's doing in our life, and we don't understand. We don't. But you can listen. Trust that he is good and that he loves you. And he cares about you more than, than you care about yourself. And he sees you from the perspective of eternity, not just the right now. And he cares for you. And he's going to walk you through the sufferings of life. So when you can't trace the hand of God, will you trust the heart of God that says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you right now in the midst of this pain. I'm going to trust you. And God says, if you'll do that, he'll produce life in you.
Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for a heavenly perspective. We need it. We forget it so often. And so, Lord, I'm asking in Jesus' name for my brothers and sisters right now. You know their struggles. You know the temptations of their heart, the trials in their life, the consequences they're facing. Oh, Lord, you're intimately involved in everyone. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you you move in our heart to help us not run from you, but to run into you in this season of trial that we're in. God, would you please move even now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.